Welcome to the 14th episode of the Database Podcast. Your hosts for this podcast are the staff of the Insight Consortium at the Indiana University School of Education. I am Molly Stewart, Director of Insight. And I'm Rosh Danaude. I'm a data architect on the team. And we work with school districts on the challenges of interoperability and data quality. And we leverage the EdFi data standard to do this work. Uh, through this work, we've come to realize that there are at least three different languages that are spoken by people working in this space. The language of databases and code, the language of teaching, learning, and educational leadership, and the language of research, which includes topics like data science and statistics. This podcast aims to bridge the gaps among those three general areas, because the more we understand about how each group conceptualizes these similar data-related topics, the more progress we can make towards solutions for educators and students that fully take advantage of best practices and cutting-edge knowledge in each of these fields of work. Um, and with that, I'll kick it over to Molly to introduce our guest for today. Our guests today are from the Northeast Florida Educational Consortium, or NEFEC. NEFEC is a regional nonprofit educational service agency established to provide cooperative services to small and rural member districts. Through membership in the consortium, districts are able to meet educational goals and objectives more effectively and affordably. They offer a wide range of programs and services, but today we will primarily be discussing their implementation of the EdFi data standard. NEFEC was the first local educational agency consortium to implement the EdFi data standard beginning in 2013 and serves 15 member districts. Joining us today are Dr. Shane Fairbairn, Supervisor of Instructional Technology, and Sherrod Keene, Senior Application Support Analyst, who has been with the consortium since 2014. Thank you both for joining us on the show. Good to be here. I'm excited. Thank you for having us. So let's just start by, um, you guys were one of the first to implement EdFi and the first to do it from a local agency perspective. So if you can just tell us how you got started, who made that decision, what you were trying to accomplish, let's start there. I'll go ahead and start, Shrod. And yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, as with most things with an educational service agency, there's a need out there that we have to fill. And if, if it's a good day, we're in front of the districts and we see you know, what's on the horizon. And if it's not a good day, then somebody says, hey, I need this. And then we scramble to kind of you know, find a solution. But we had a partner, Silt, who had been speaking with the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation about this, this standard and this way that we could address the race to the top requirement. I don't know if y'all remember that, it was a while ago, but the race to the top requirement of an LIIS, so Local Instructional Improvement System. And it had so many different layers that we, we just couldn't meet. You know, we had, we had different vendors that provided part of the solution. We had some in-house stuff that provided part of the solution, but we didn't really have like a, a way for all those systems to, to speak with each other securely and basically report on any of those LIIS requirements that we had. So, so Celt approached us, um, Rick Rizel, who's just an amazing person and you know, a friend, and told us about this opportunity. And to be honest, it didn't really make sense right away. Because the, the first thing that happened is everybody's like, oh, well, we have this vendor that does that. And we have, you know, this solution over here, but nothing that brought them together and nothing that like put NEFEC at the center of the hub to help our districts. Because, you know, if they have, you know, a student information system, business information system, we have to know it and be able to support it for them because a lot of times they're, um, they're smaller, they don't have the, re the same resources that we have collectively. So 
we, we got presented with this opportunity. There were a couple of other organizations involved in it. PASCO was originally involved in the meetings. And so we got to that point where, okay, this makes sense. And we, we brought it to our superintendents and they didn't understand it. And I, I feel that, you know, reflecting back on it, we didn't understand it well enough to know how powerful it is right now. If we had known it back then, it would have been a better conversation. But so it took a while for us to, you know, build that uh, integration piece. And we started out at just one dot, nothing, and worked our way up. Um, and that was just like, you know, maybe it was like my second year of being at NEFEC. So not only just learning the job, but then learning this data standard and how to incorporate all those things. So yeah, it was a, a kind of a messy start, but it was a necessary a necessary part because the people who stay with the program really understand the need for the data standard and are able to communicate it with our stakeholders. So at this point, looking back, what would you say are your main uses or the main value that the data standard offers you today? I know that you have some visualization solutions that you offer, but you know there may be other things too. So if you want to walk us through those. I feel like I just talked for like 30 straight minutes. <laughs> Too much to jump right in on it. Um, but yeah. So, I, I'm sorry to inform you that a podcast is going to be a lot of you talking. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just going to like, you know, make some face movements and entertain people. But, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I can speak to like the middle layer and like the visualizations. And then I really think that it would be more appropriate for Sharad to talk about the back end and the integrations and all that, you know, all of the hard work. I do the easy stuff. I do the transformations and, and the visualizations. But yeah, so all that stuff that we started out in the beginning, we are now able to do just about anything that our districts ask, reporting requirements, data quality, using the FI standard as like the thing we start with. And we try to make sure that all of those data elements are in our data store and then we report out on them. But I mean, we do it in all different ways. We do public visualizations, we do um, embedded visualizations. And then the most important work that I feel that we've been doing this past year is working with progress monitoring, extending off of the work that we've done with Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. Progress monitoring is like huge for our districts right now. And we're having a big shift in the state. So making sure that we have their assessments, we have the state assessment map, and then finding out the things that are important to the end users so that we can build those tools and visualizations to help not only you know, present the data and those data in ways that are actionable and make sense, but also that people really understand where their data quality issues are, or they understand this number 78 is different from this one 77, why? You know, and, and figuring out the difference between, you know, you know, validated and clean data and then raw data. And that's where, you know, not only on when it's coming in, acquiring it, getting it in, but also what it looks like when it gets out the other side. Again, like I said, having the ODS is central to that, but we realize that there are, there are data points, there are non, you know, unstructured data sources that we have to incorporate to answer some of these use, use cases, but it just makes it so much easier to all the development work we do at the EdFi side. We don't have to redo that. Everybody understands that. It's just those additional elements that we have to add in. 
Yeah, I mean, just the, the second that, Shane, you kind of teed it up pretty well for me for something that I'm like working on right now a lot. <laughs> the data quality piece, you know, it's, to me, it's one of the most like deflating things to have spent all this time on some visualization or some report or something, bop it in front of somebody that knows the data. And within like five minutes, they've ripped the sucker apart. <laughs> like this data is completely wrong. <laughs> you know, why are you wasting my time? I'm just, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know, that's kind of what it feels like. And then you never know if they'll even look at it again. You've kind of lost an opportunity. <laughs> And then you have to go back and like in the, in the planning stages and think like, man, what went wrong? And a lot of times it's, it's the data quality piece. And that's not like when you say data quality, that's not pointing a finger in any certain direction. Like, I think that also kind of gets misconstrued like, oh, this is data quality. And there's probably somebody out there that like immediately starts cringing, you know, but it's really, it's like organization wide, right? I mean, like, is it quality of data that was in the source system? Could it be how you configured something to send the data? Could it be, um, you know, even like how the data was extracted out and presented? Is there some filter or some like business rule that is kind of like, you just don't understand, like one district does it this way and another district does it that way. Yeah, so there's so many like data quality has been a project we've taken on and it's a pretty big task. Some of our initial work was actually just combining data from a couple of sources into one database and they not live as separate records, but just as one record. An example of that is taking um, our student data out of the student information system and having it sit in the operational data store next to the HR data from the HR system. And that is the coolest thing to me, um, as long as you have like an ID, you know, that's unique and the state provides an ID for that. And so like we can take, like take, for example, a teacher, we can export out the teacher information from the HR system using the data standard. And then we can grab the section information from the student, you know, from the student information system. So now instead of like the student system trying to send like a position title begin date that may or may not be accurate we can get the real position title information from the hr system and have it live alongside the real student sections and staff section association information from the student system and then we can then integrate assessment information that doesn't live in the in the sys to me like as far as integrating things go that is kind of was really like our first win on a back end um, not thinking about reports or anything else, just getting all the data to live uh, together in harmony. What, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were trying to integrate these systems that, you know, if I was relatively new, it had a, a, you know, a different tech stack back when you were first starting. So if you had this vision of commingling these things, what were some of the practical steps that you took to get there and, and walk us through some of the, the challenging 
things that came up when you were starting to do that and explore that because you're you were essentially doing that mapping, right? You were you were understanding the source system, you were understanding the data standard, and then being the go-between. So, what was that like, also, like to be be like the sole source of wisdom and understanding yeah. that that's like negotiating all these people and places? Oh, tough, tough. Like you know, because if you don't understand the standard yourself, and you're trying to help other people understand it, that's pretty challenging. So, the initial thing is just man, understanding what in the world is going on here. Like, let me just wrap my head around this thing. But originally it was, a lot of it was through XML. I think there may have been an API and like we started with version 1.4 maybe. And then, you know, I remember the upgrade to suite two, which at the time was just version two where the API became more uh, prevalent. But we were doing like XML exports from the sys on suite one. And there was this whole like loading process. And honestly, it wasn't that much better than a CSV file. It was basically a CSV file in a different format. I mean, in my opinion, not that much better. Yeah, that's a very good opinion. In my opinion, that's a good, <laughs> you can relate to that. Yes. Um, I mean, we even did presentations at our state conferences on EdFi and the data standard and like how to do it with XML. I mean, tough when it went to the api we have a collaborative in florida called florida code uh, much like the insight collaborative and i remember shane daniel and i were so excited we're starting to use this api and i got so excited that i had this slide like with fireworks going off like this this gif and it's like (laughs) and i just got up there and i was like it's already there you know, and that was like the theme of the whole summit, which I don't know if I'm proud of or not, because uh, I got made fun of for years after that. But it was so exciting to see someone make a change in the student information system. And before I could even try to go push to send it right to the to the head file, it was just already there. Yeah, it was really cool. So, yeah, huge difference from the original XML. Uh, to the API. And and thankfully, the sys that, uh, that we were working with was very helpful, very open to uh, working with us, kind of work through that process. And with CELT, I mean, CELT, Shane, you mentioned them earlier, they really did a lot of the heavy lifting uh, in our early days. Was CELT your system integrator or were they just kind of a facilitator? Like, what role did they play in the integration? I think mainly overall project management because we were working with different districts, wasn't just NEFAC. So the overall management of it, getting, you know, organizing all of that hard stuff, all those soft skills that, you know, most developers have a little bit of trouble with, <laughs> but, you know, organizing the people and, um, and really communicating the message out. But then they also had technical expertise um, that they provided. Um, so we did some contract work with some of their developers and really had a great relationship with them. And with the with the SIS provider, I used to joke that they should have been on the NEFAC payroll because Sherrod would literally get on the phone and say, this is an issue. Can you help me with this? And they would respond really quickly. And that that kind of relationship, you just, it doesn't just happen. I think all of those times that that sell and all the different organizations got together. We just built that kind of collegiality. I will say that 
the cost of standing up Ed Five back then compared to now. I I don't I don't even know the multiple times more. Like, you know, now you have people like I I met someone the other day from another district and you know they stood up for the first time they had never met ed Fi. they came in and like all right ed Fi's up in like 30 minutes or something i mean that took months and well and how much was your original grant i mean it was multiple millions of dollars right yeah to make that work it was like 1.9 or something yeah the it, two it, phases. I mean, it was quite considerable and a lot of that was was spent from getting the you know, the legacy systems, you know, um, to the FI standard. Um, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that that was completely successful in a lot of cases, other than letting us know that what wasn't successful, and then how to address that moving forward. And so I think that a lot of the early work in the grant was just that, you know, is this thing, you know, is it airtight? Will it float? Yeah, okay, great. But we found the holes, we patched them up. And they just built a better vessel with all the, uh, the integration. And sorry, I, I'm going to kind of tangent just a yeah. little bit. But the summits, um, the EPI summits where people come together, our first one that Daniel and I went to, I mean, there were like, there was no way there was 100 people at that original one. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, holy cow, like so many people are involved in it. And that's what I'm saying is like all the technical, the nuts and bolts, that's the simple stuff. It's those relationships and the human element that I think um, the FI standard has really helped, you know, grow and facilitate. Um, and that's made the work a lot easier too. Do you feel like non-technical people that you work with understand what EdFi does or it has it just become this is the way things work now we don't have to understand it like this has kind of been a debate with some of our other guests like do do people who are not technical need to understand how it works or can they just reap the benefits of it without understanding that's a great question thank you <laughs> and I mean, you guys are almost a de like a decade in, right? Like if you yeah. if you contextualize it that way. We've gone both ways with the approach on that too. Because mm -hmm. yeah. that addresses the previous thing that you were talking about with like, is it data quality? Is it this? Is it that? And this plays a key role in how you approach quote unquote fixing problems or fixing bad data. So what does that look like in your districts today? And maybe even how has it changed since you first started? I, Go ahead. I can yeah. add, I can yeah. add some, I don't know, you know me, I just speak in metaphors a lot of time, but what makes sense to me is like to address what people need to know when they need to know is is like when you're when you're doing the dishes and you get a spoon and you're rinsing off that spoon and you hold it up, you know, if you have a nice smooth side out, it just runs right off it. But if you turn it over and you have the water up too high, it just blasts out, right? So you got to find the balance between enough so that you rinse off the spoon, but not too much that you blast yourself in the face. And so I think that instructional people, um, educational leaders, you know, the other languages that we speak in data, thank you Rosh for that, I'm going to use it a million times, 
they do need to understand that we don't just flip a switch and it automatically comes in, that there are certain things that have to happen. And we've spent the better part of a decade building that common vernacular with our instructional teams, with our districts, so that they may not understand what an API is, they may not understand the levels of validation, but they understand that you've got to get some information securely, put it somewhere, do something to it, and then you know you can visualize it or report on it. So the language, we don't change. We say API, we say exchange, we say transformation, but the bridge comes in in the conversations where we, we bring in instructional, we bring in the other you know, HR, and they understand it as deeply as they need to in order for it to work. But we don't, we don't simplify the language. Uh, we use the same language so that we're not invalidating their experience. We want to just get to the same level so that we can have intelligent, productive conversations. Unless I'm there, and then it's neither intelligent nor productive. Uh, that I mean, I think you said that pretty well. That we started pretty heavy with like, man, this is EdFi, and let me tell you everything about it. <laughs> and people would just leave conversations like, what? You know? <laughs> you Rob, did you me. did you ever explain EdFi to anyone incorrectly? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> And that's uh, that's I just remember sitting in some of these initial calls right back 2014 2015 and I'd just be on this call and I would just be like I know that I'm supposed to understand what they're saying but I have no clue what's happening here and I would just be thankful that like Daniel or Shane would have something to say because I'm just sitting back like what is this and I have to remind myself of those experiences because however many years we are now into this, there's, there's still people that are boom, you know, day one and it's hard to understand. And I, yeah, I have to constantly remind myself of that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a giant game of check-in sometimes. Like you always think the person that you're speaking with has more knowledge than you do. <laughs> so you're like waiting for that, you know, and then you know that you have some knowledge, but you don't know if it's quite at their level. And I, I think a lot of our conversations have just kind of like removed that ego part of it. And let's just talk about the thing and let's, let's connect it to your work. Let's connect it to your use case. And that's a lot more productive than, you know, having everybody go through like some sort of initial training or, or, you know, it, it's just a more natural part, but it's deliberate from the technical side um, that I don't think we get in a lot of projects where we deliberately do that because we did like full on, water you know on the, the dipping part of the spoon <laughs> i know Sprayed everyone in the face with yeah. a yeah, fire know, hose yeah. <laughs> but, so when yeah. you were when you were approaching the districts um because you already had a pre-established relationship with the districts were you going to your primary contacts there were you trying to assemble a team at the district to give them this kind of fire hose of information? How did you engage the districts in that initial process to get them on board? And then has that evolved over time? Do you have different types of people that you engage with at the district level based on whatever makeup of the district, even though you have like all of these clients coming to you for a baseline level of service? So I can talk about the initial and then we can kind of evolve from there. So, um, so yeah, um, 
anything um, at NEFEC needs the blessing um, or you know, the agreement of our superintendents. And most of our superintendents are elected official. And then we have a few that are appointed and we have um, a couple of presidents. So it's a real good, it's a real mix. So their, their personalities really come into, into play. So our, our first, we had to get permission to take part in the grant. So we had to approach the superintendents first. If we had had more time looking back on it, we would have had smaller groups get together, coalition of the willing, but that, that's just not, that's not the way of work for our organizations because they, they pay us to do a job, they support us. We work for them, not the other way around. So that's how we had to start out getting, um, letting superintendents know, and then just getting the ones who were willing to engage in the work with us to actually do the work. So, and it, it's, it's gone from that. I'm just gonna put a little spot here for Shirag because then he's, <laughs> but like now it's more of a, we've got from the, oh, I don't really wanna do it. I've got too much stuff going on to, just the fear of missing out on all the cool stuff that we're doing for our other districts. And so now the superintendent's coming to us and say, okay, this Florida code thing, this FI thing, we need it. What do we have to do? And so the conversation, it's just, you know, go a full 180 from begging superintendents to engage in the work with us to desperately wanting to respond to our superintendents that just want to engage in the work that our other ones are. Yeah, and a little rabbit trail just on on that specifically. I feel like in education as a whole, in general, I was a teacher for uh, I was a middle school band director for seven years before I started at Effect. And you know, so often you'll see uh, ideas, systems, applications, whatever, like come in promising to do great things, and it doesn't happen within let's say a year, six months, nine months. And it's very easy to move on from those, whatever that was. And I think what Shane is uh, describing here is a natural growth, right, of a, of a baby of something, a baby of an idea, and giving it time to breathe, giving it time to grow, giving it time to fall down and get back up. And I think that's really important, you know, for an organization to be able to allow things to progress naturally and not at some super pace and not expect it to just be Superman right away. Because if you give it time, then you kind of get that, that outcome that Shane was just describing at the end. You know, originally we would just, anybody we talked to, it didn't matter what role they played. It got, it was for me, I got super technical, super fast. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, even going back to that comment I made about it's already there. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here in front of how many people? At least 80 people <laughs> trying to talk about an API, and it was it was such a you know the feedback from that was very valuable, right? Uh, looking back on it, and even now looking back on it, it's like a lot of personal growth happening there. You know, of what's the use case? Who's your audience? You know, if if the use case is to get you know, something visualized, then kind of, you know, customize what you talk about to that group of people. You know, if you're writing a report, if the use case is to get systems to talk to each other, you know, and you have a, a, an IT tech kind of person that understands what APIs are, all right, now you can kind of really dive in and get into the weeds of things and they'll understand. It's, 
if you start glossing people over, if they start getting confused and they shut down, you're not really going to get much accomplished. So I have actually a question for Rosh, which is how did NEFEC's foundational work impact our implementation? Uh, so how did they impact our work? Well, so to be honest with you, we didn't know what we were doing at all, right? At the beginning, we had no clue. We went to our first summit, I think it was 2018, I believe, maybe. No, I think maybe you 20... went in 2017 because I went in 2018 and you had definitely been there before me. Right. Okay. So we went in 2017. I think it was in the Radisson. Uh, didn't know anybody, barely knew anything about EdFi. Sylvia had bullied me into even studying about this and learning about this. Sharad's comment about like how long it took to stand up an ODS. I, I remember that very vividly because Sylvia's like, yeah, just do it. Here's the code. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it took me like a week to even like get my head around it. Yeah. And I'm following the instructions on the tech docs at that time. No idea. So I'm here at this conference, still that same experience of, I don't know anything and I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> um, and so I think it was probably the first day. I don't even know how we met you guys, but I think. It was barbecue. It was, was it? I think yeah. this must have been 2016, Rosh, because we Maybe put so. our application or we put our proposal into the Dell Foundation in summer of 2017. Yeah. Okay. And so we were basing that on some of floor, some of NEFEC's work. So, yeah. So, yeah. So when we met you guys there, it was really just for whatever reason, we just had like an initial kinship of just like just being friends that that had never not known each other, which was, you know, in, in the tech world, you don't always get that kind of uh, uh, like bonding with, with other people, yeah. but it was almost like- Are you saying that met, tech people are socially awkward? <laughs> not, not even that, but there's just like no purpose to have like long lasting relationships. But it was when we met these three, Daniel <laughs> is not on the call, but Daniel along with Sherrod and Shane, it was like we had never not known them, just the level of- uh the amount of joking we were doing with each yeah. other and the amount of just like being able to freely ask questions and then not have somebody that would look at you and say like oh I can't believe you don't know that it was yeah. like we were we were able to ask whatever questions we we knew we were getting honest responses um and more than anything else more than anything technical or implementation wise I think just that spirit of sharing um, and that approach to saying, hey, we're making these types of mistakes, or this is a decision that we made, here's how it played out. Because at that point, you know, our implementation was looking at developing and deploying the core dashboards, and Nefec was doing that same thing. And I remember distinctly <laughs> walking, from, walking from the conference hotel to one of the social events, and just Shane being like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> 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 and yet we still did it <laughs> and for whatever reason we were like yeah I guess but we'll do it better <laughs> yeah. and I I still have that memory we were actually at the last this last summit in November we were we were walking that same walkway and I can vividly remember that conversation and huh. you know that everything that came after that but you know that was really the if, if I had to say what's the effect they had on our foundation was that just the spirit of like being 
community members more than just people that consume a technology from a community um, mm -hmm. to say like, hey, you can actually not only use this stuff, but you, your voice is important in making sure that it gets developed and can, continues to be pushed forward. So like all that time and sweat equity that the NEFEC guys have put into it from the beginning, like there's a lot of dividends for that that are paying out in terms of the tech today, but also just like the free flow of information to have, have like ambassadors of a technology that are willing to be honest and upfront um, was really the most striking thing that enabled us to have our own voice and to, you know, build out in the way that we have and, and then leading to like sharing later on when we were getting into more complicated technical issues, knowing that, hey, we can, we can reach out to these guys and say, hey, we're having the same problem, we're using the same SIS, can we come together and figure out a solution, then engage the vendor and then have like this collaborative process where it's not just one person in one place trying to push it forward all on their own, but truly spreading the effort out amongst different people that have the same approach to districts. So I'll, I'll forever be grateful that we were able to connect with you guys because I can probably say definitively that without having your support from a friendship perspective and from a technical perspective, I don't think we would be where we are today because that was, that was what kept us in the game and going and encouraged when things were pretty bleak at times. So, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to grow Thank like you. Shane's head more than, you know, yeah. more than we need to, but uh, <laughs> definitely Sherrod and Daniel will get it. <laughs> <laughs> there you definitely go. Good. Yeah, not that guy. Yeah, but thank you, thank you for that, Rosh. And that you call them people, I call them organics. And so, like, you're one of the organics that, you know, <laughs> no, but seriously, though, that community part is just, it's so important uh, because, you know, like, like Rosh was saying, you can go to a social event or you can get on a call or you can text somebody and you can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing or, Hey, can you tell me about this vendor? Or hey, I just did this with this vendor that I know that you also use. Can you use this? And I mean, it that kind of you cannot get that from you know an out-of-the-box solution to where you pay a vendor millions of dollars to get something stood up and they leave. You're starting at square one again. And we don't ever have to start from square one again because we've done that work. And we've shared that work and other people have shared work with us. So it's, it's more like a long lasting virus, <laughs> a community of, of viruses that um, are good viruses, but you know, we get that critical mass and we're able to move our, our, our RNA further out into the nodes and into our networks. That, I mean, that community part is pretty key. It's a G rated podcast. Just yeah. Just <laughs> know, Shane. Before that gets too far up. Out. <laughs> I think this is an example of some of that community part. Like the thing, like the, it's also not just between like the users as far as, um, I mean, the users are not just collaboratives, LEAs and states, like there's also vendors involved. And I, it's the coolest thing to me to see, you know, vendors making connections with each other, you know, talking you know being like like competitors right like all they're becoming friends we're becoming friends with with them i mean it's really 
to me, I don't know of another community quite like this that's on such a large scale. I mean, you've got state CIO people, you've got analysts from districts. I mean, you just a wide gamut of roles and responsibilities. And it really is like friendships. It's not just some work and some technical thing that you're doing. Going back to something that you said earlier, Sherrod, about data quality issues, I think this is a really important point that still needs, I mean, obviously you're working on it now and and we are too, but can you just tell us more about like, what's your strategy for, you know, engaging people? Do you have, you know, a process or like what, what are you doing exactly? Let's just start with that. Yeah. 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 So the current work that we're doing, like very poignantly pointed to, so how you say, I don't know how to say that. I'm making up words, Shane. I started it. So go for yeah. it. Yeah. Is that like, all right, let's build like some sort of report that will surface these issues and the issues, like not just some generic set of issues, but let's get feedback from the districts. What are the specific issues? And so We've started with that. It's built on top of some work that MSDF has kind of funded through. Uh, and uh, I think Douglas Loyo started this work, put it in the exchange, and now John Hickam has kind of taken the lead on this. Uh, it's called Data Checker, open source, you know, available through uh, Edfi's uh, GitHub. So, so it starts with that. It's basically SQL scripts. You write these, re- you know, you surface these errors. And that's just kind of where we're at now. The next phase of that is to get like the whole data governance, you know, idea involved so that we can, you know, we've got a tool um, and we know that that's not data governance in itself. So, right. That's the next phase. Daniel is really kind of, kind of leading the role and direction of that. We have done some kind of ad hoc type uh, data quality things outside of that work too, with Shane and his team, with Julia And I think that's been really valuable, you know, like Shane, I want to hear your perspective on this too, but, you know, we'll get some feedback from Shane and Julia, like, Hey, we just met with a district, you know, they saw these things, this person was missing or something. And then I can go back and take a look at the source and try to figure out what's going on. So that's just been kind of just spur of the moment ad hoc type data quality things. And we're trying to formalize it, but, but up to this point, it's been very just kind of in the moment. So I'm curious your perspective of that, Shane. Well, quick, quick follow-up. Oh, yeah. I think it's really interesting the difference between the data quality in terms of looking for errors, which is like something that a tech person can run a report for, versus when a user is looking at something and without knowing the context of a class or a school, you know, there's a number here. It could be right, you know there's 641 students in this school and the school person knows that it should be 659. Yes. You would never know that. And so I think that's a really interesting data quality problem to try to find a systematic solution to, because it's not easily you, you can't know that problem until someone else looks at it. Yeah, it starts off as just being like this organic side benefit of having a report on data. It's, it's supposed to be, you know, to help an instructional decision. 
but then it, just a side benefit of that is you see some data quality issues. And what, we, what we're trying to do with our current focus is let's build a report that is specific around data quality issues. So these things that we know are problems, let's surface them on purpose. And then I think the next step after that will be to start to work with our districts around data governance if they're interested. And, they, and a few of them have expressed interest. So, Shane, did you have input on that other question before I cut oh, you off? Yeah, so many, so many things, you know. Yeah. I'm full of Fs. So like, you know, fail fast, fail early, fail off, and fail forward. I think one of the things that Shira was talking about yeah, it, it, you have to have that working relationship. You know, if there's an error, you need to know not only is there an error, but why it's an error. And I think one of the perspectives that's helped both me and Sherrod out is that we were both teachers. And so like we understand what educational setting is. And we also have contacts. We also have, you know, teachers and other people in areas that we can call and say, hey, you know, what does this thing mean? But we get more problematic errors, the better we get at it. <laughs> Like, like sometimes we join things that probably never should have, um, never have been thought of being joined together before. So we might have, you know, some aspect from the staff domain and some aspect from the assessment domain that we want to connect. And we don't really surface those errors until we try to do things like security or section assignments. And then you start seeing the, 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 the disparity between the HR system and the SIS, you know, the human resources pieces and the student information, making sure that those things match. But because we've done the work and engaged in it, we have like a list of things that we go to right away. It's like, oh yeah, their IDs don't match or, oh yeah, their Florida ID isn't in there. We can't join on that. You know, so there, it, it gets from, you know, just a very basic data checker say, hey, here's an issue from not only here's the issue, but here's how you fix it. And I think that that's what Shiraz really done with the data checker piece and what we're working with our districts on. Not only here's the error, here's what happened, here's how to fix it. The coolest thing would be like if you had a, you know, like an applet on the side or an app and you could just make your changes and edit directly from there. So, you know, maybe that's a, a next iteration, but yeah. I think you can't, you can't ever forget what type of data you're looking at, um, you know, what type of data sources you're looking at, because instructionally, like you said, the context is going to change and you have to understand the thing, those things that are going to erode trust and, and belief, I guess would be that say trust and belief in your reports, your visualizations, and you have to make sure that you get those right away, or you engage in the work with somebody who's willing to, to fail with you along the way. I have a follow-up question on that, which I, I think is related to data governance. So regarding data quality, if, sorry, my dog would like to contribute to this conversation. I thought that was my stomach. <laughs> so people will see a visualization, right? And the data is not what they expect it to be. And and they may see the problem with the visualization itself, or they may see the problem with the data itself. But then the question becomes, where is that problem really? And Sharad, you gave a few examples you know, where that could be. And again, it's usually no one's fault. It's usually just some disconnect in 
how different systems are categorizing things or or whatever. So my question is, for data governance, the real ideal is that all of the people responsible for different parts of kind of the data flow or data journey. I don't know. That's a bad. That's not a great word for it. But In the saga. <laughs> saga. All the people who are responsible for some part of data, we'll just say that, are involved in the conversation and sort of standards of data governance. And there are conscious, like intentional ways that things are supposed to be done. And surfacing these problems surfaces the fact that most organizations haven't done that. So that's one part of it is like, how do you then support the organization in, in figuring those things out, which is really, really hard. The other, and I'm not expecting anyone on this call to answer that question today. <laughs> Sounds like Daniel's working on that. We can talk yeah, that's about it later. Learn. Like at some point we'll know that. <laughs> right. But the other side is in terms of motivating people to do that, like what other impacts could those data quality issues have that you would never know if you didn't surface it? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like like an easy one is like no funding, way. right? Like your your average daily membership impacts funding. That's like a very clear example. But I think there's probably and, and that's something that people really pay attention to because it's closely related to funding, but I think there's probably a lot that are impactful that are not as obvious. Yeah, so I, I, can, I can give like two pretty concrete examples of how this has worked out historically. So before we had a way to really look at how, you know, districts were reporting what they're reporting on their surveys, we had one district that was coding their courses incorrectly so that resulted in a loss of funding for you know, a lot of money. I'm just gonna put a lot of money here. You just insert whatever you think, because I don't wanna say how much it was, but it was a lot of money. And that never would have surfaced had they not looked at those courses outside of the student information system. Um, so from that, you're like, okay, can we fix this? Can we retain, can we get some of that funding back? Okay, what do we need to do? To now, they're like, oh, that's the impact. So if we do this wrong, if we key this in wrong, here's the actual impact. But not after the house is burned down to the foundation, but okay, I smell a little bit of smoke. That's that's what we're surfacing. Okay, let's let's stop that fire and then let's you know prevent one in the future. Um, so that's one thing is just like losing, um, you know, that, that funding piece was like huge. Um, the other is like assessments, um, things that are like manually entered into a student information system that through the API come over. Um, and if, if people don't put parameters on that, you know, like if the, if the student information system doesn't have a parameter that says, hey, this, this score cannot be above 100, then we get wacky numbers in. 
which those wacky numbers, if we don't account for those wacky numbers, it's a technical term, look it up. But if we don't, if we don't go with those wacky numbers, we don't filter them out somewhere, those come into the overall aggregation. So if we're thinking, you know, just a basic average to um, a student may or may not be eligible because of an incorrect assessment. So we can surface the error. We may not be able to fix it right away, but Julia and I can go in and make sure that we filter out all those things that don't meet the parameters. So we just get good data, you know, good data are coming in. Um, and I mean, that, that's the, those are the two best examples that I have, you know, when that funding piece of it, but now that it happened, it's not going to happen again. <laughs> and the people who are doing that stuff, you know, it's not going to happen again, but the assessment thing is something you always have to account for because you're not just going to have it straight from the vendor and nice API validated parameters. You might just have somebody who's keying it in from a spreadsheet. Um, so yeah, those are two like concrete examples that I can think of. Uh, one that I have this, I, I was wondering if I, you know, would have a chance to talk about this. This is kind of like a little bit of a soapbox for me. So you've teed it up for me and I'm ready to hit it out of the park. Uh, when I think about what is one of the core functionalities of using a data standard, specifically EdFi, and the fact that it's API, you know, that we use an API now, and that the API itself really encompasses the standard, even probably more so than the database underneath. Like, at some point, I think systems should talk to each other. <laughs> like, like I think a great side benefit of um, having the data standard and having the operational data store is the ability to do some reporting. Um, and now, I, you know, as of this last Tech Congress and even a little before, there's kind of been more of a push to pull data even through the API itself, um, which I think is great. But like at some point, hopefully systems can talk to each other in a way that it's through a standard and um you know if the data quality is poor that's not going to happen you know if the if the systems don't trust what the other system has then there's no way that uh you know maybe the functionality is there but the district's like yeah there's no way i'm allowing that to happen because i don't want this bad data to be over there and create bad data over there uh so that's another like kind of in my mind another reason why to clean up the data is i i want to see um, I want to see systems talk to each other. And even if they don't use an ODS, what if they just use the API and just talk to each other? You know, mm -hmm. um, how cool would that be? You're talking about interoperability um, and moving data from one place to another. Ross, so. I feel like that's exactly what you've seen in helping districts with like their state reporting, right? They, they used to be, you know, through CSVs and any data quality issues could be kind of fixed before submitting it to the state. And now the state is using EdFi and that's not the case, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's prompting like the granular level discussions to happen. It, well, there's two different things, right? There's how it should happen is like, you know, enforcing that at the data entry standpoint or like when districts are planning. We talked earlier about, well, Shane's example about courses and course codes, like that's that's an example of an area where you can plan ahead and you should plan ahead, but a lot of districts don't have that luxury of planning ahead because they're having to 
create a new section or create a new chorus when a teacher goes on long-term leave, you know, th there's like these dynamic things that come up. And so it's easy to talk about like, well, now that the technology is in place, it should filter down. But there are these like live dynamic things that happen in a district in a real-time basis that require going out of the box to solve a problem. And in the past, you could reconcile that later on. But now that everything is live flowing from a state reporting perspective, there's a, there's a flexibility that districts have had to accommodate problems that the state isn't allowing them to have anymore just implicitly. And that's, that requires like some architecting and some like give and take um, that sometimes like the statute doesn't allow for. So that's another challenge too, right? And so I think that's this next frontier of problems with EdFi is to look and see like, okay, the tech is allowing those things to flow, but there was a lot of flexibility necessarily. So for districts when they were submitting flat files that are going away now. And so how, how do you then make the change from on high to say, we need to alter our data collection to meet the needs of districts that need to be extremely flexible. That's like such a multi-tiered conversation, but like the folks that we've had on these podcasts and um, you know, our cohort here at NEFAC, we have like the language to be able to speak that, but we don't really have the access to those like upper echelons in the legislature that, you know, so we have to make that our next. We've become really good at talking with districts, but now we need to become better at talking about legislators and policymakers to help them make the same transition that we've seen in our districts and in the NEFAC districts, where now they're kind of natives at understanding this, but now we need to continue to push it up higher so that policy is made accommodating the technology in a way that's not been done so far in a number of contexts, right? Not, not just in state reporting context, but there's always legislative changes being made and the NEFAC folks, even though there's no state reporting with EdFi, you still have to accommodate that somehow in their EdFi implementation because districts are gonna to choose to implement that statute change in a certain way or are gonna need a new field or a field is gonna be used differently. Now you gotta to have to re-architect the outbound with EdFi. Um, and that's, you know, that's difficult to do when, when you are trying to keep things stable on a tech front. I mean, it's, it's a constant overhaul sometimes. And so how do we make that become less impactful um, or how do we make that like more, less disruptive, I should say? Well, that's only by reaching up higher in the policy spheres to help people then. The good news is there are some states that are taking a slightly different approach to it, you know, but till we get every state where EdFi is running, thinking about it in the same way at all levels, we'll constantly have these challenges, but it's something to be aware of when you're deciding to implement EdFi or any kind of data standardization approach is that you can only tech your way around a problem for so long till the policy comes and kind of smacks you in the face. Yeah, well said. Yeah. I think about the, um, like the, the sys vendor that, you know, doesn't export like, okay. So for the state that accepts a flat file, like that's how they want it. Right. So you can extract that flat file, submit it, realize there's some errors and then just make changes to the flat file. Right. And then you never go back into the source system and actually fix the error. It's just, oh, the flat files right now. Is that all you have to say about that, Gerard? That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I thought you were, were going to say more. Uh, and so, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Furthermore. I, 
I have a tendency to just stop halfway and everybody's like, Fine. man. And I'm just like, no, that's all. <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah. Any other questions you want to ask, Rosh, or or any other things you, you guys want to get on the record now that you have your hour of microphone fame? I don't, I don't know. Will people With our like 30 way? listeners. <laughs> people look at me the same way when I walk down the street. And they'd be like, oh, that's that guy that was on the podcast. Remember him? And like take pictures. Okay, well, I'm glad because I would have dressed up if I knew that was going to be on video. But no, I'm, I, I think that the hardest thing and the thing that keeps me up at night is what I'd like to, and <laughs> the hardest thing is that the people who engage in this work not necessarily the vendors, and I'm just going to put them off to the side. They are part of our alliance. They are part of our community. They just have a different focus than we do. So I'm just going to say like collaboratives, for example, like you invest a lot of time in relationships and the skills of the people in your organization. And we're a nonprofit. You know, we're, we lose people all the time. We get people in, in the districts. And um, the thing that keeps me up is just how do you sustain that level of energy, that level of enthusiasm and care that it takes when people leave and when people transition into different roles? And so I, I always like encourage people to diffuse out their knowledge as much as possible. So we have people in areas that you wouldn't normally see interacting with reporting and data elements stuff, but we're building that so that if there is a big transition, we at least don't have a giant gaping maw there we have you know maybe a little hole that we have to walk around for a while but i'm just kind of curious like how how do you sustain you know transitions and stuff and you know that's the thing that keeps me up at night that's a great question i mean and i, I know that rosh has you know streamlined a lot of our processes so that new people who come on can have an easier time of than maybe people who were onboarding three years ago, right? But I think we, you know, we are working on getting more documentation out there and working on really getting these things organized. It takes a long time and you don't have time because you're all doing your other things. But I don't know if it's gotten to the point of that it's a struggle, but it's definitely something that concerns us, especially with the current, like, very influx labor market. Yeah, and it's also like a philosophical thing, right? So for for your team at Florida Code and, and NEFEC, you've been in the struggle for a number of years. And in that struggle, you've built out uh, expertise and mechanisms to like say, oh, okay, if this problem comes up, here, here's how I'm gonna handle this problem. But for new people entering the space, I, I'm struggling with like how, how do we properly condition and prepare people for that process, especially with implementing EdFi, for example, that it's not just a static, here's what you need to know to do this. It's more like, here are the things that you need to know about. And then the problem that comes up, you have to like go out to this web of knowledge to be able to solve it. It's not this linear problem solving path. And I, I don't know the right way to do it. I, I don't know like what's the best way to replicate the product of years of struggling through and figuring out answers in a way that's distilled to get somebody up to speed other than like, well, you're just going to have to be comfortable with making mistakes. And, and I think that's, that's part of it too, is like when somebody comes on board, 
is yes, there's an expectation of like being able to produce something, but also we know from experience that it's not, there, there's no way to do that without making, like screwing it up a lot of times and getting people ready and being okay with that is kind of where like I'm starting from, but it's hard. It's really hard because I don't know how to like distill these things out from my mind because when, whenever I start to do that, then I start to like think about, well, I know this because of this, 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 this. It's not just like, I know this because of this You're one so thing. That I can full of it. dependencies, Rosh. No, so bad. I hate it. I just. It's a very real thing though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's just that the nature of like doing something that you care about and caring about like how it's done rather yeah. than just the end product. I mean, I think that that's the thing that I think we share in, in common the most with Shane and Sherrod is that we don't care about like just the outcomes. We care that the outcomes were achieved in a, in a way that respects the people that we're dealing with. And you can't really do that by just thinking about like a linear path to deploy a piece of technology. And so to recreate that in other people is hard because not everybody in the tech world comes to it with that same. And I think that's part of why going back to that previous answer that that drew us to these guys is that there was a kinship that went beyond just like, oh, we're trying to do this tech thing. It's more like, hey, between Michael here and IU and me, and then the three guys that we met on that first summit, it was like, hey, we care about educators. We care about student outcomes. And so that's that's our end goal. Our end goal is not to get money to deploy the software. Um, our end goal was like, whatever means necessary to help these students. We're each a product of like very different backgrounds and different approaches to this type of work and so it's not there's not even like a set major or a background that brings you to the point where you have that same valuation of why you're doing the work so I I don't know what the easy answer is to what Shane said but I think at least we can start to become better at identifying and saying to people like hey the only way that you continue in this work and you'll have prolonged success if you think about what your end goal is and if the end goal is not students then educators then you'll always find something more lucrative elsewhere and, you, and you'll leave, so. Yeah, I think a good temperature check for how, um, for how well something is being adopted or used is how easy is it to find someone else that could do the same thing. So like, for example, with Microsoft, let's say you had a staff that was dedicated to doing something in Excel like you're not worried that you're going to find someone else that can do something in Excel, right? If they leave, you know, okay, I'll be able to get somebody else that can do it. And I think a good temperature check on how much a standard is being used or a technology or a software or whatever is like, how easy is it going to be for me to replace this certain position, this person's knowledge or whatever. And I think, uh, I think it will be a good question to ask every year, every five years, every 10 years. um, And hopefully over the next, however many years my push i keep telling the the alliance at alliance is that this is going global right we're gonna you know 2040 we're gonna we're gonna be in another country somewhere uh and we're gonna be doing summits in that way and and but hopefully Especially by, at the new year's party right by, exactly and uh hopefully you know the ease of finding people with the knowledge and and the skills and abilities to work you know with this data standard over the years will become easier and easier. Uh, that will be to me a good temperature check on how well is EdFi doing. Yeah, 
Agreed. Okay. Thank you both so much for joining us and, you know, all the things that you do in the community. Hopefully we'll see you at another event someday, Shane. Been missing your presence. Definitely.